released on Sunday, March 2nd, 2014, in St. Louis, Missouri, This Agile Life, episode 38, Don't Be a Douchebag. Get your very own People Work Here t-shirt at booster.com slash thisagilelife. Say it loud and wear it proud. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today on Twitter, Adcron, Mr. Amos King. It's great to be here today, John. Oh, it's great to have you, Amos. Liar. Also, oh, no, oh, true. <laughs> also joining me on Twitter, Agile Atheist, Lee McCauley. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going great, Lee. Thank you for joining us on the show this evening. Glad to be here. Also on Twitter, the Agile Factor, Jason Tice. It's time for a change control board, I think. Amos is here, and we need to talk about a center of excellence. <laughs> All because I changed, I slightly changed my Twitter handle from JC Sextro to John Sextro. You may not make any changes unless it is approved by the governance board. Right, and you didn't get it approved. Change it back. You changed code without consultation. You may not do that. <laughs> I want you to redo your work, and it adds no value. Please go redo that and take three sprints to do it. One of the things that we kind of brushed up against in one of our previous episodes of This Agile Life was uh, kind of the concept of people being kind of douchebags as developers. You know, I think we've all run, in, run into a situation where you have someone that you work with that has like a very big ego and is hard to deal with or does not easily get along with others and play well with others in the Agile Pit area. So tonight we're going to be reviewing 10 commandments of egoless programming and then discussing those 10 commandments. We've got a link in the show notes on thisagilelife.com that you can find so that you can check out the 10 commandments of egoless programming. And you can even print them out in pseudo-tablet format and post them around your office. And one thing, John, that I like to say at the onset is that this to me is not so much about programming, but it's really about teamwork as an agile team. So even though that we say this is programming, if you happen to be in one of those roles like a product owner, a business analyst, a QA, you know, one of those roles where you're, you may not see yourself as a developer, We'd ask you to listen into this and think about how these ideas could be applicable to your role and how you could best align to support a whole team approach. I think this also really fits into the Agile manifesto in the, in the area of people over process. I mean, the Agile is really about people and communication. And to me, the Ten Commandments of Eagleist programming is just that. It's, it's about people and communication. I think my favorite thing about these 10 commandments, now they're, the link goes to Jeff Atwood's blog, but these commandments are from a book called The Psychology of Computer Programming um, by Jerry Weinberg. It was written in 1971. So people, we're not changing much as far as personality goes. You know, Amos, that's my favorite part of these is the fact that this goes back to very early days of computer programming and exactly to your point. We just keep churning out the same kind of ego-driven maniac programmers. Well, well, they, <laughs> you the know, uh, letting uh, letting us <coughs> touch technology is probably a bad idea. That's exactly right. That's the problem. We can't touch technology. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. I'll take the first one, guys. The first commandment of egoless programming is understand and accept that you will make mistakes. You will make mistakes. There's no two ways about it. I know I make mistakes all the time. I accept that. I don't like it, but I'm ready and I'm always ready and prepared to deal with the fact to say, hey, I screwed up. My bad. I will fix it. I will do whatever it 
takes to get things back right. And uh, I know that I'm always going to be apt to make a mistake. You also be a lot happier if you learn to accept them and and laugh about the mistakes you've made. Well, and, and the key thing to acknowledge is that really mistakes and the feedback that they provide are what solicits emergent learning. So in some instances in the agile mindset, you know, there's this idea of, you know, failing faster, learning from mistakes, where it's good to make mistakes because then we we start to learn really what works and what doesn't given the overall complexity of of what of how of what software development entails. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to say that I I've only ever learned from my successes, but that's just not the case and having making mistakes having failures creates yeah. those opportunities of learning. But, but I, I think, think, I, I think outside, ahead, of, outside of the core of, you know, outside of the core engineering community, you know, there's this belief that, that software development or programming is this, it's this rote activity. It's like, you know, A told B, B told C, I'll meet you at the top of the coconut tree. Oops, wrong context. But nonetheless, <laughs> software development is inherently a knowledge work activity. And by that nature, it's it's very you know you could use the word complex, complicated. Uh, there there are different definitions of what those words mean in the eyes of some. But you need to think about you know using this idea of trying something, getting feedback. It might be good feedback, it might be bad feedback, you know. But that's what helps you improve. And if you don't accept that challenge, and just try to you know always do the same thing over and over again, you're really not going to be successful. I I, I think that's. Fantastic, Tice. Um, and I, I believe that I've used this quote before, and I don't know who said it, but try and fail. Try again, fail better. Yeah, no, I like that, Amos. That's good. But but understand that, and, and you know, for our, for our listeners out there, many, many out there who have maybe have different backgrounds, they hear that, and they, it, it can send shockwaves through an organization. So, Yes, we, we've started an agile transformation. We've got our self-managing teams and they're trying these technical spikes and these technical spikes, they, they, they're, they're failing. And, and some people will hear that and they, they may react adversely. So it's important to understand that people understand that and understand that that really does solicit learning. And to be successful, learning is really a, an important requirement for any team. All right, let's go on to commandment number two. Amos, why don't you take that one to start us off? You are not your code. You're just, you're never your code. Don't wrap your ego up inside of your code because there's going to be a problem found in it and someone else is also going to change your design or disagree with, with the way that you've designed it. You need to get over it. It's the team's code. It's not your code. Yeah, there you go, Amos. I mean, you don't, you don't own any code. The team should own the code. And in really great environments where you're pair switching a lot, the propensity to own code is marginal because you are pair switching so much that you don't you don't identify particularly with any particular code, any area of the code, but you do identify with the project overall and uh, have still have a focus and some some uh, pride and ownership, if you will, for having a good product. Well, and, and actually, I, w- I want to take this a step further and say it's not just the code, it's all of the work products of a team. So it's the stories, because sometimes, you know, the product owner says, I own the stories, and that's not true. The team owns the stories, and the stories need to be written in a way that everyone understands them. The same is true for the test cases, the same is true for, you know, really even the database structure, I'd say. And then even if you've got, if you have one of those crazy architect guys involved, guess what? The team needs to be involved in owning the architecture. So really, everyone needs to work together on all of the work products that the team needs to be successful. I, I like the not owning stories. Don't put your name on stories in the backlog either or the ready queue and say that that that, that story is yours as soon as you're done with the one you're on. No, 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 no. That creates code ownership too. What does Lee think? He's been so quiet over there. I think I'm just learning so much from every word you guys say. Wow. Are we making mistakes? Not that I've seen yet. Oh. Although I would, I, I would like to say that I really like it when you rhyme, uh, Jason. 
I, yeah, I think I'll, you should do that all the time. I'll read more children's books. We'll, we'll do The Hungry Caterpillar next. <laughs> Let's go ahead and go to number three then, Jason. So on Wednesday, I had three plums the third day of the week. So <laughs> that didn't rhyme. That had, no. nothing, that had nothing to do. It's the third thing. That is not the third commandment. No, on Wednesday, the hungry caterpillar has three plums. Oh. I digress. (laughs) Number three, no matter how much karate you know, someone else will always know more. I know kung fu. Really? I was going to turn that into yoga. But nonetheless, I actually, that to me is a reflection of, you know, this idea within Agile. There shouldn't be a subject matter expert, nor a center of excellence, as Amos would say. And saying that, you know, we should all be learning from each other. So if, if you have that goal and you have made it your life, it's to say, I am going to be, you know, the alpha dog that knows everything that comes to and ultimately will become a single point of failure on the team. That's not good. That's not sustainable. So instead, you need to embrace that, you know, you're going to learn things from others around you and that inherently by the nature of how our brains have been created, we are all different. I think that's the key is that having that opportunity and the chance to learn from others. If you're so wrapped up in the fact that you want to be the alpha dog all the time and always know everything about the situation, everything about your language, you've shut yourself off to those opportunities for learning and you've really made it impossible to give yourself a chance and to cut yourself a little slack and say, yeah, you do know a lot about this, but somebody else is always going to know something different which you may not know, which is not necessarily more, but they just know some different things. And there's always going to be people that do know more. So if you can take that wall down and be ready to learn, you're going to overall have much less of an ego and by association have an opportunity to become a better programmer. Make sure that wall is knocked down between you and everybody on the team, Uh, a designer, a QA, uh, a product owner, customer, anybody, you can learn something from anybody. Uh, and and this, this point here really makes me, uh, the day that we're recording this, uh, Jim Wyrick just died, a creator of Rake. And uh, I've been reading everybody's stories about him. I met Jim a few times. He was always a very approachable guy. And they talked about his first day. He was, uh, or this, this guy's first day working with Jim. Um, he's straight out of college and Jim is the senior man at this company and they're sitting down in the lunchroom and Jim's writing some code on a piece of paper, like deep in thought about something. And he just stops and slides the code over to this guy who just got out of college and says, what do you think? So be like Jim and just know that everyone there has something to teach you. That's a pretty cool story. The other thing uh, that I think is so related to this, and it's it's really not articulated in any of the other commandments, um, and this is probably more applicable for some than others, um, present company may be included, is if you are someone who you know you have a pattern of being loud and outspoken, or you just like to get your two cents in, there is an un- there is an unbelievable amount of learning that, that can occur for you personally by listening to others. Or anything, just being quiet, you know, and just listen to what other people have to say. And it's it's an it's amazing how that can be a very impactful personal experience. Imagine how much Lee is learning right now. <laughs> a tremendous amount. Actually, <laughs> my my comment about these first three is they're all really about having humility and uh and knowing that you are not the the god of of code, I suppose. But I thought programmers were supposed to have hubris. <laughs> no, that's that's fighter pilots. You get those oh. confused. Oh. <laughs> Easily confused, rightly. Yeah, definitely. We both have fantastic sunglasses and love to play beach volleyball. <laughs> we the, the coders just don't look quite as good as as Val Kilmer and uh... <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. All right, Lee, why don't you take number four? Number four, don't rewrite code without consultation. Um, this is actually an interesting one because uh, I, I had an incident like this that I know Jason would bring up if, uh, if I didn't. So uh, the uh, idea here is be, there's a fine line between 
um, taking somebody's code and completely rewriting it versus you know changing some some variable names or or refactoring a little bit and, and it's kind of the same thing as the difference between refactoring and redesigning um, and those terms get used a lot so it is really easy to to say oh well let's start refactoring this thing it's it's just a little piece of of code that we need to fix and then it balloons and suddenly you're you're fixing code and you didn't actually talk to the the pair or the or the team or whatever about what you're doing and uh and you just spent half a day or a day um redoing something that may not have really needed it or um at least the team would have been more aware of it if you had uh, consulted but but you know lee the question i'll ask with that is so what so if you know if if a if a pair is doing a code review for something that's been done, I guess you know. Well, leadership might have an issue if they want to blow a half day, you know, refactoring something for the sake of refactoring. So what? I mean, I guess that's a team issue because it impacts the team's capacity to do work. But if someone wants to, go, I mean, I, to me, there, there's a point to say if, if you're the person whose code was refactored for what you believe is no reason, does it really matter? Uh, you think that. You, we, I mean, we've talked about you or not your code, but, but either way, um, it's it's like being nice to people, right? Like, it's not always just because you shouldn't get offended by something doesn't mean that you should do something that would also possibly offend. But to me, I, this this Jason brings up a good point, and to be honest, I I think he's he's trying to uh, play devil's advocate here, but uh, uh, the the point is, I think that. Um, when you, if you've got somebody that you could offend, then, then maybe if you, if you trust your teammates a little more, then you wouldn't worry about them fixing your code versus rewriting it. Um, it's not really a worry for you, but on, at the same time, I mean, it depends on how big a, a thing you're talking about. And, and I was thinking more from a team perspective, as opposed to from a, individual or or a pair perspective yeah yeah Lee, that's kind of what i was getting to and i was not intentionally trying to be the devil's advocate but the it's this idea of saying you know a way to have a discussion that's based more on a team-based scenario than an individual so instead of saying hey why did you go back in and refactor my code nah, 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 nah. you don't have one of those uh, say you know time out at the retro why did the code review on this story take a day and really say that that's something that as a team, what are our working agreements about what we do in code review to ensure that we don't recreate the wheel and we focus on delivering quality software? And so my statement is that then becomes a team issue and it, it encourages the team to adopt some working agreements that promote an understanding of what the what, kind of what the rules are about code review and could encourage code review for good purposes and prevent this, you know, kind of almost avoid this whole scenario in the first place. Yeah, and you make a good point, Jason. Um, but one of the things that I want to make sure we don't gloss over here is that by taking the step to at least do the consultation, you're showing people that uh, you're a team player, right? You're willing to talk and communicate about stuff. Nothing can be more aggravating than the guy that rips through the entire code base and then and replaces all of the tabs with spaces or decides, you know, he, he likes the curly brackets here instead of there, or he doesn't like the way you name variables so that he rips through it and, and changes all of that. Right. That's, that's like, I will delete your comment. Just say, no, this is where the, <laughs> the, your architect needs to develop a coding, a code format standard for you. It needs to rigorously ensure that you apply it to all your classes. <laughs> no, the, sorry, we, we interrupted this, you. This guy being the jackass needs not to go whip, rip through the code and arbitrarily change stuff. Well, or the architect doesn't need to render a standard that has no value. Don't be that guy. Yeah. If you're going to do it, you need to sit down and talk to everyone. Like it, like, you can't be the lone guy. You're not the lone ranger. Tonto's not at your side. And most importantly, I think teams teams need to have working agreements about what they do in code review. What are the rules? 
and ensure that if the people on your team change, they understand what the rules are. Maybe they have some ideas to improve them. But it seems like all too often people adopt the mindset, oh, we'll just figure it out. And the problem is everyone figures it out for what they think is right. And then you get into this reactive situation. And this is where I'm encouraging teams to be a little bit more proactive and encourage you to have that discussion, knowing that it will help you be a better team. I think there's one other thing that we're missing here is, uh, or we haven't mentioned, is that sometimes you have different opinions about uh, changes to to method names or whether you're going to use the word mock in front of your mock objects. And, and, you, uh, and some of them can be really trivial. Uh, some of them can be a, a bit more important. But the point is, is you'll have different opinions on one team and whoever does the code review will change the code to match whatever they think is right, hoping that everyone else will kind of follow their their pattern and think, oh, gee, that was a great idea. But then other people don't necessarily, if you never actually talk about it amongst the group and decide what the uh, what the team wants to do as far as some of those conventions. So I've seen teams kind of waffle back and forth or, or everybody's fixing each other's code and making it the way they want it to be, but they're not really substantive changes. I think that we need to really define what we are talking about in code review, because on this list, it says pursue stylistic changes within the framework of code review. Um, so there's there's two different types of code review, right? There's uh, a pair works on it, another pair looks at it and moves on. And then there's like whole team code review. We're talking about having someone like you produce code, someone else looks at the code before it's merged into the final product. not hey, let's all sit around and have a formal code review process. You could call that a mob review. Oh, is that what that's called? I don't know. That's my, I'll make a new term. Mob I call review. that a, a, I think it's a zombie mob review. <laughs> yeah, because people aren't dead. paying attention. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I, find, I find the first type of code review very useful, and the second one kind of not. So the thing that's interesting is how do we get through the first three of these in about four minutes, and we've been now on this fourth one for significantly more time. I think it was the person that read the, read it. It's probably it had, it's beautiful. It struck a nerve with us all. It, it just came out better when it came from Lee. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and move on to number five. It's my turn. I'll read this one. Treat people who know less than you with respect, deference, and patience. I think this is very important. I think that there, I've seen a lot of people throughout my 20-something years experience in the industry uh, where a guy is very smart, knows a lot about what he's doing, knows a lot about the domain, but really just uh, can't tolerate someone that doesn't know as much as him and uses and takes every opportunity to belittle other people that don't seem to know as much as them as a as a stepping stone and a way to prove to other people how great they are and how awesome they are with this technology and how much more they know about everyone else. And I I think the exact opposite is true when you do that. When you behave that way, you're protecting something, you're hiding something, you're trying to convince people that you know more than you actually do. And the people that take the time to show respect, that have the patience to teach a new person something, to teach anyone something, those are the real people who know what they're talking about and that people respect. Every time I have ever thought that someone needed to be let go from a job was this right here. And I have been to managers and told them that they needed to fire their people. Um, because of disrespect and impatience with someone that they thought was below them. It is poison to a team and poison to a product. I, I agree, Amos. So the, the one thing I was going to say is that I guess in the, the version of this that I'm reading, uh, there's, a, there's a bold commandment. And there's actually like a sub, there's a subtext. And the what is interesting here for number five is it says, Non-technical people who deal with developers on a regular basis almost universally hold the opinion that we, meaning developers, are prima donnas at best and crybabies at worst. 
what I think is interesting though is there's this also kind of fallout and and conflict within within the technical community. So think about your quality engineers and your quality assurance people who are there to like kind of find the bugs of the software. It's important to understand that those roles and sometimes the the, the people that are frequently in those roles um, have a different mindset. And it's important to respect their mindset and not just bicker with them for the sake of bickering. No matter how hard it is not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I frequently apologize about um, certain things in this area. And I, I think I notice a lot of people do. This is one of the hardest things is the patience part. Like whenever you have a very green developer and you see all kinds of stuff coming forward in the code and you have to stop and explain things to them the fourth time they ask why on the same thing, it can get a little frustrating and you become impatient, but you just need to make sure you take a step step back and breathe. And if you do make a mistake and become impatient with them verbally, physically, by physically, I don't mean you physically touch them. <laughs> I mean, like you got up and walked away or whatever. You need to apologize. Yeah. I'm sorry can go a long way when you mean it. It takes a big person to admit when they're wrong and, and to apologize. And it's amazing how much when the, the leader of a team is able to treat others with respect and patience. It's, it's amazing the sort of team dynamic you get where everyone is, is comfortable with asking questions, suggesting changes that may be counterintuitive to what you're doing. And I think you get some of the best software when everyone has that level of comfort on the team. Yeah, because that green guy is still going to come up with some ideas that you would have never thought about. The other thing is, how long are they going to be green? If you're patient with them, they'll be green a lot less. Exactly. <laughs> but even then, they're still going to learn. And some of those green people that are green now may be, uh, may be the person that you're coming to for help later. As the famous frog once said, it's not easy being green. <laughs> okay, let's go on to number six. And Amos, you're up. The only constant in the world is change. 1971, right? Yeah. And, and we're still reading this like it, like it, it's all still the same today. <laughs> well, it, that, that it, is, it is, that's a scientifically proven fact. So I, this is where I, 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 this is where I start to throw with the list. Cause I'm like, uh, okay. So I guess this is a good reminder if you don't know that, but um, maybe I've read a few too many change management white papers that I'm like, I kind of, if, if you think um, that you can resist change and I mean, look at, look at industry. I mean, though, even the way we write software, it's not the same as it was a year ago, let alone maybe a few weeks ago. If you think you can sustain the need to change what you do, you are basically on a road to failure. So confront reality and embrace change. I think that was kind of Lee's question there. And Lee, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think your point was, you know, this is something we've known for quite a while. And we just now have a process, the Agile process, that is set up as a way to deal with change and accept that change is going to happen. That process is only, you know, what, 15-ish years old or whatever? So, oh, we, oh, come on. People were doing Agile way before. They just didn't call it Agile. but It's only become popularized in the last 15 years. But, but I, I think the key thing to say, John, and this, this maybe is, I don't know, again, I have a little different background, but the, sometimes in the business mindset, there's this, this thought of saying, we can sustain our business forever without changing. Or, you know, maybe as a team, we can sustain our technical practices without the need to, you know, improve our process, you know, improve our tooling, really embrace some of the innovation that's out there. If you're operating with that mindset, be warned. I mean, I'm not going to say you couldn't be successful, but the odds are definitely against you. Okay, Jason, why don't you go ahead and take number seven then? Okay, so seven. Luckily, the hungry caterpillar only has a, only has a well. The seventh day that was when he uh, 
<laughs> he rested and he, he ate it through a green leaf, so he felt better. So that was the seventh day of the hungry caterpillar. Okay, so number seven. <laughs> the only true authority stems from knowledge, not from position. Ooh, brings back some memories of a recent discussion on this agile life that Amos brought up about how, you know, authority really does come from knowledge and shouldn't necessarily come from a title or a role that someone has. Architect. I, I would even <laughs> add uh, add seniority into that because we've we've seen that uh, play out occasionally where someone plays the seniority card because they're tired of discussing some particular issue. Uh, good point, Lee. Excellent says, point. As John recently credentialized himself with 20 years of experience just a few moments ago. <laughs> I, I wasn't pointing at John, but okay. Oh, agile factors in the house. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, so, so you so people so the, the key thing I'd say about about that even in terms of seniority is again look beyond I, I challenge folks to look a little harder. Don't you know and I say I say actually in, in fitness that you know age age is a state of mind. You're only as old as you think you are. The same goes really for uh, for um for seniority. So someone just because they've you know had a job for a long time doesn't necessarily mean they're senior. You know, you should look at really how they're how they're contributing, how they're collaborating with the group. I think Tice must still have good knees. <laughs> you know, I, I've noticed since since we're all and uh, we're not, with the possible exception of Amos, uh, we're not still youngsters. Um, and I think Amos, you're starting to become the non-youngster too. Wait, wait, Tice, how old are you? What? What do we have it here for? We don't need to talk about. Just ages. hold your fingers up. Just hold your fingers what? up. <laughs> here, I, I'm one. I'm talking about the very hungry caterpillar here. <laughs> okay, back to my point. Um, so the uh, uh, I've noticed that uh, people that actually say, "Oh, I'm getting old," they don't actually feel old. Once you actually start to feel old, you stop talking about feeling old. <laughs> yeah, but the, but 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 in a professional context, there is an interesting thing that happens when people sometimes say they're older. Sometimes people say, hey, they lose their motivation to keep learning. And one thing I think that technology has done that's really awesome, and I know like uh, actually it was the last podcast episode we did, you know, John was talking about code school. It's e it is so easy to learn things these days. You know, my, my challenge is that I would encourage everyone is that regardless of where you are in your career, you know, whatever role you have, wherever, you know, if you have a if you're if you're in a position where you know you've got like a leveled like are you a junior or are you a senior developer, I would encourage you to say even if you feel as though you've you've graduated and you're maybe at a higher level, never lose that desire to to continue learning. And it goes back to that idea of change. If you stop learning and you stop improving yourself, that's really when things can start to change for the worse. Find the guy on your team with the most energy and drive to learn new things and then just hang out with him. Jason, did you say <laughs> that older people are less likely to want to learn new things? I just I have found in other contexts and, and like, you know, from coaching and doing endeavors outside of software development. Sometimes, you know, people reach that that point in their career where sometimes they say, yes, I've established myself. I'm set. You know, I'm. You know, if anything, they adopt the subject matter expert mindset to say, I know everything I need to know. Come learn from me. And there's a value to sharing information. But I believe strongly that as you're sharing information, you should be continuing to learn. You should be asking for feedback to help you learn about the things that you're that you're sharing with others. And you should ensure that you always you never lose track of moving forward. Is this don't be a curmudgeon? Okay, I, I got to call bullshit because I think you're propagating a stereotype there. Really? That, okay, that what's old, stereotype? Let's, let's, okay, John wants to go. Here it is. Okay, John, give it to dun, me. Dun, 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 Wait dun, just a second. Dun, He's dun. taking his Geritol. Go ahead, John. <laughs> the, the stereotype is that old people, older people, don't have a desire to learn. So I'm, stereotype. I'm, say, I'm saying I have worked with people that they, I know they what get you're to saying. a point in it. it, it Take it as a career, you know, at a point in their career where they say, I have arrived. Um, people have written books on this. I need I'll go do some research and find some for us. And they the books almost advocate if, if you interpret them to say that you should get to this point in your career 
And you should then be able to leverage all of this, this knowledge you have to the point that you don't need to learn anymore. And I do not I, believe in that. I don't think it's older people. I, th I think that uh, a lot of people hit this point at some point in their life. Some people think it's right as soon as they graduate college. They usually end up working as government programmers. Um, <laughs> Amos. But what I'm saying is that I, I, I know where you're coming from, Tice, and, but I do think it is just a stereotype because there's just more of them as you get older that have decided that they're done. I'll take that. that, that that's fair. Lee, I don't know if you caught that, but I think you tried to blame the stereotype on books as well. On books? <laughs> that books say older yeah. people can't learn. Well, how does how old are you? You read books? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would also What's say that I would also say that the uh uh I've noticed at least personally that I I do feel threatened a little bit that you know I I feel like as I get older, I probably won't be able to uh uh to produce in the same way. I think I've got, you know, a few decades left, but there will come a point where I won't be able to produce at the same rate that I am now. And so I do think about, okay, well, what's my career plan for this? And, uh, and it makes me wa want to learn even more. I mean, that to me, the, the getting older thing is, is forcing me to, uh, to go back to the books, so to speak, in a metaphorical sort of sense, as opposed to a literal sense. Well, I, I think our discussion here, it's funny, is, is chained, for number seven here, is chained to number six, because the fact that we've acknowledged that the world is in a constant state of change, unless you're doing things to learn about how to adapt to that change, you're, you're, going, to, you're going to experience problems. So... My guidance is to say, you know, Lee, to your point, you have to embrace that, that, that desire that learning is a lifelong quest. In the yoga mindset, we call it a journey. So you're always going forward on a journey, and you need to ensure that you can sustain that journey as long as possible. I think the important takeaway here is that, and this is a, uh, this is a common phrase, it's, you should not judge a book by its cover. Give people a chance. Don't just automatically assume that the the new developer on the team, the young developer on the team, knows nothing. They could surprise you and be very knowledgeable, have a lot of wisdom about what they're doing. Conversely, you don't always have to automatically um, kowtow to someone who's been on the team for longer or has some certain title that says senior in, in their fact, name. You're limiting learning of everybody if you do. Absolutely. You guys are actually touching on one of my uh, one of my personal pet peeves, um, and I I rarely even bring this up. And to be honest, I I cringe just a little bit every time John says uh -oh. it at the beginning of shows when he says Doctor Lee McCauley. People with with uh, with letters after their names, um, some of them, most of them, earned it in some way or another. But I've almost always found that uh, people that have those those titles. And actually, think it means something. Um, probably, it doesn't really mean as much as they think it does. So you shouldn't necessarily be be automatically impressed with people with with letters behind their names, unless it's Amos King and he has a CSM. What? Mine says BS at the end of no, it. No, I said C. <laughs> I said Amos. Don't you want to be a CSM? Customer service manager? No, oh, a certified scrub master. Oh, no. No, thank or, you. Actually, or, actually, I do. I want to be a certified Scrum Master so that every time they bring in another one, I can, can just say, I've got it too. Now let's talk. <laughs> Lee, I hope, well, you, I hope you know that I only say that because I do have the utmost respect for you, and I also have a respect for the time that you had to put in to earn yourself that degree, to earn yourself that title. So when I say that, it's it's nothing but respect for you. I know, and that's why I don't usually say anything. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to clear that up. Okay, okay. Now that we've got that all out in the open. 
But, I love but you, the, man. The, the key thing is to acknowledge that, you know, and this has happened in Agile. You know, when Agile started, it was very pure. It was about values and principles. And not to talk about Amos's favorite topic, but, you know, it's, look, look, look at what the market has done. You know, there's, there's, what, four different certification tracks out there. You know, there's a, there's a coaching certification track. There's the Scrum product. Scaled Agile has a coaching product or has a, a certification track. And sometimes it's unfortunate that just to get in the door to be considered for an opportunity, you have to have the letters after your name. And I mean, I think we could all share stories. We know the people, we know people that have the letters after their names and, you know, maybe they can talk the talk, but some of them struggle to walk the walk. So many of those letters and pieces of paper that you buy, because that's what, that's what you do. That's called a business. Are just bought. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. You can be certified with the right amount of money and being able to take a paper test. I'm sorry. Okay, let's go, let's go on to the next one. It's Lee's turn. It's number eight. Okay, number eight is fight for what you believe, but gracefully accept defeat. So I am all for passion. Um, I love it when... when multiple people on my team are passionate about some particular subject and it really it really uh worries me when i have people that are just kind of sitting back and 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 not contributing to a discussion um however it does become a problem if the the argument or the discussion becomes a real argument where people are actually starting to emotionally get upset as opposed to taking in what other people are saying and uh and really listening to their teammates. And when a decision has been made by the majority of the team, and it isn't the one that goes with your uh, particular perspective, um, being able to continue on and do what the team wants you to do, as opposed to uh, uh, just continuing to do your own thing. That, that's just, a, a, again, a poison to a team. I agree, Lee, and... I had an experience uh, at one place where I worked where I had a very passionate debate. It was a very adult conversation. The other participant in the debate handled it in a very adult way, but we were both very passionate about the topic. And there were other people in the room when we were having that debate. And there were people, I was new at the time at this particular place. I was new. And so there were people afterwards that came by to apologize to me for the way that the other person had behaved. And I said, please, there's no need to apologize. I believe that we had a very adult, transparent conversation. Uh, It was a lot of good information. I encourage those sorts of things. And there's nobody needs to apologize for anything. It's good to have passion. It's good to have those technical debates. I think when you do those in an adult way, all you do is help the project out. Absolutely. I know that uh, that Amos has had a few uh, passionate discussions in his career. Well, that's for sure. I'm, uh, I, I'm I'm too passionate sometimes. I think. <laughs> Did you ever have any uh, books hurled at you, Amos? I'm no. I've never had anything hurled at me. Usually, usually by the time that I get to um, a point where I'm willing to have a more heated discussion with somebody, we've worked together for a long time and built up to that. It's not not normally a day one thing um you and our friend craig buchek tend to have quite a number of passionate conversations but because you already have that relationship you guys can have those passionate conversations without fear of harming each other or uh taking it making it personal right you can you can that actually he's probably the person that uh i had a problem with number eight um before is uh it was over a comment and i did not accept defeat very well and uh got so pissy about it that when i finally said fine we could put the damn comment in there i started writing like out a journal entry of the day as a comment like because it was about he said the comment can explain why it's not intention revealing. It explains why or something. I don't know. And so I was like, fine. I just wrote out like the world. <laughs> you did not gracefully accept defeat. 
So no, it, I did it, not. And then he went home. He just like up and left. And I was like, so, oh, that's probably bad. <laughs> so, Amos, let's ask this question then. Knowing that that was an activity of the past, how have you learned to self-regulate? So, like, what do you use to, you know, when you're, when you feel it coming on and you want to say, ooh, I told you so. Uh, what do you do? How do you calm down? Well, I didn't, I, I don't, uh, I told you so, I don't think was a problem. It was just the, the, the giving in in the moment. The, I told you so three months later, I don't even care about. But um, I, I don't know. I think that uh, I had one incident. It was um, fairly recent in my career. Actually, I had a lot of a lot of time behind me before I ever had that happen. And then um, I, I don't know. I just think I never really want that feeling again. It, oh. It's a shitty feeling. I guess the, the practical advice I would share then, at least my viewpoint, it, it, it goes back to actually our, our discussion on the prior episode about the whole team and say that I think there is an opportunity to talk about the whole team here and, and really say that as a team member, you should be looking out for the best interests of your other team members. And, and maybe if you know if you hear two people get into it and, and you as a member of the team don't see that that's going to have a positive outcome, or it could have, you know, a, it could create a challenging scenario. You know, maybe I think it's any member of the team should be empowered to call time out and, you know, really say you guys need to take a break. Maybe someone goes for a walk, you know, cool off, and then come back to when everyone's in a little bit of a, you know, a more, a more emotionally uh, relaxed state, and can determine, you know, what the way forward is. Decide what if there's a compromise if. If this is where we're going to try it your way this time, and then tomorrow we'll try it the other person's way, but literally ensure that that decision is made when people have a good emotional synergy and not when they're in a state of rage. And and if you do have that state of rage, apologize. And when you apologize, don't like take that person in a room and apologize. Apologize to that person in front of everyone. Yeah, totally. That that's what I would actually say too. And and so if you're and so what I would say is if you're the person that's on the team that like example, let's talk about this in the podcast context, who would that person be? It would be like, you know, Jason Amos are going at it here. And Lee would be the guy that would like literally probably say, Hey, Jason Amos, you know, take a chill pill. It's okay to be that person. And actually it's funny because our next our next uh our next item uses that idea about don't be the guy in the room. But I think in this case, it's okay to be that person who's again you're because you're who who's the guy who maybe steps up or the guy or the gal. And maybe help someone realize, hey, listen, you guys are you guys are on a course where you're going to end up in a bad place. Like, cool off, and then let's let's talk about it. And there's there's nothing wrong with that because you're looking out for what's best for the team. I have I have one last thing uh, about this. I say this frequently, and something that Ty said reminded me of it is I often tell people a good marriage is when you think about the other person always before you. If you both do that, you'll have a fantastic marriage. Same thing with a team. If everything you do on that team is to think about the rest of the team, then you guys will have a fantastic team and you will do amazing things together. Agile wedding. We can all get married to each other. Yay. Not I don't know that that's legal in the state. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you have to move to. I don't think there's any state Mon that has polygamy. Montana, what? No. no, Utah. Utah? Okay, Utah. Shucks. Okay. Well, we'll have to hold off on that then. All right, number nine. Hey, okay, number nine. Who's got number nine? <laughs> I've got number nine. Don't be the guy in the room. Jason, you already kind of gave it away. Yeah. and He's that guy. <laughs> and don't be the guy in the room means the guy who sits by himself, not necessarily in a physical room, but has created kind of the Les Nessman, if you're old enough to remember WKRP in Cincinnati, the little taped-off area, don't bother me, this is my office, I, I do my stuff here, I don't talk to anybody, I don't really like to interact or share ideas, I just bang out code. I call this the heads-down developer. And, damn it, if I hear another developer say, I just want to be heads-down, Leave, leave me alone. I'm heads down right now. Uh, that means I don't have time for you or the rest of the team, so don't communicate with me. Okay, okay. I so re really don't like you. All right, so real real life question here. Okay, hi. Oh, I'm a big enterprise. I'm a big enterprise. I'm a show. Oh, here, okay? shit, he's, he's back. back. Big enterprise is back, okay? 
I have heard about this mysterious thing called Agile. Maybe I've even heard about this thing called Safe, okay? Scaled Agile. I want to do it. I want all my developers to do this tomorrow. And so you have, you know, because a lot of companies do this. Okay, we're going to go do Agile. And they have a lot of developers or people who have this very single, they have this idea of working independently. What do you do in that environment? Yeah, Jason, I would have to say that I have this to a great extent. I, I would know you do. So. I would love I would love to be a solopreneur and and kind of am, but you know, I'm I have some introverted tendencies. I would love to just be able to sit at a keyboard and bang out code all day and not have to talk to people, but that's just not reality. And so that's where I usually start the conversation with people is to to say I can relate to you. I understand that. I have tendencies where I want to do that as well. That is not the best way to work. Case in point, these things are from the 70s. I mean, this is, this is something that we've known psych- psychologically that people working together on something are more effective than a single person, regardless of how you really feel. This is, this is what we know. See, see, I want. I will. I don't, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Amos. No, the big enterprise already talked. So go ahead. I don't. I don't think that uh, this necessarily means that your company needs to do pairing, but working together and pairing are are hugely different. I I do think that it's necessary that your company does pairing at some point, but taking a bunch of guys who have been walled off in separate sides of the company working on the same project. You know, you had their database guy, and you had your middleware guy and your front-end guy, and they never talk to each other, probably not good to try to jam them together on day one and say, you guys pair. I'm not even saying pairing, right? I'm just saying okay. don't, yeah. be a, don't, don't be the guy who sits there stewing all day, doesn't talk, you know, doesn't interact in the, in the team setting. Well, or, or to apply the, you know, some of the, the I'll, I'll use the term, the terminology of Agile, I think this is probably one of these uh, elements of the top 10 list that we could probably update to make it speak strongly to the ideas of Agile. And instead of saying, don't be the guy in the room, which is a bad statement, we should say, don't be the person on the team who is not part of the whole team. Yeah, that would be a good improvement. And that also... By the way, I'm, I can't believe Amos missed this one, knowing that this was written from a developer's viewpoint, but some of the worst defenders of number nine are who, Amos? Architects. Thank you, John. Oh, oh thank you. So if you, uh, are, if you are that architect, I challenge you to be a member of the whole team. There's different ways to do that. Some people might be the architect that's emerged and is coding and stuff. Some people might do it with a little bit more of a removed role, but the key thing is you are involved and you're contributing to what the team is doing. I think, I think the further you are as an architect removed from the keyboard, the more you need to be in there discussing with the team constantly yep. and using their feedback. Because um, number five, that's why. Treat people who know less than you with respect, deference, and patience. Yep. Because you might find out that they're typing, and they know a little more than you do right now. Yeah, I call those people ivory tower architects, where they sit back in their ivory tower and they pass down, send out emails and paperwork and, and prescriptive guidance, but have no freaking idea what they're talking about. A, like a, lot, a lot like Ten Commandments, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, we're on the same wavelength. <laughs> okay, uh, we're just about out of time, and thankfully it's down to number 10. And Amos, you're up. Critique code instead of people. Be kind to the coder, but not to the code. What do you think of that? I agree. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say here. That um, you, you need to discuss in a uh, what I would describe as a loving manner. Uh, any any changes that need to happen with the code. If you come in that way, you're you're less likely to end up into a position where um, 
there's screaming and yelling going on. I, I think you also have to, to think about it from the perspective of whenever that person wrote the code, you have to, to go in with the assumption that they did the best that they could at the time, given the knowledge they had at the time, um, which may have changed since then. And, uh, and uh, you may have a different perspective, but at least trust that, that they were doing the best they could and they didn't just, just uh, phone in for the day. So what, for a little bit of fun, what has Lee just quoted? What I don't know, I but my wife quote? says it all the time. What, what did I just quote? Anyone know? No. Uh, the retrospective. Nope. Maybe. No, not the retrospective. Tell us guide. the agile factor. It's the um. It actually, because he said it almost. Um, he said it almost verbatim. It's uh, it's called the Prime Directive. It's from the Norman Kurth, uh, body of knowledge about like project retrospectives. And it's this idea that, and, and some some facilitators believe that it's like a it's like the way that you should start a retrospective. I've I've done this, and I was so close. Yeah, you were close, Amos. But but it's it's actually from it's it's from Norman Kurth's book. But it it talks about acknowledging and saying that to do really a retrospective and to keep the environment safe, you are acknowledging that everybody did the best they possibly could do with what the knowledge and the you know the knowledge they had at the time. And then beyond that, let's now have a serious discussion about what we can improve going forward and trying to set up the retrospective as a way to talk about being constructive, moving forward and not having a gripe session or, you know, a blame fest about, you know, what specific people did wrong. I have taken that and shortened it in my life down to assume good intentions because I, I, I think that people typically on a project are always trying to do the best they can, right? So I always tell people, if you're in doubt, if you're in doubt about someone's motivations, always assume that they had the best intentions. Nobody says, I'm going to put this, well, okay. Most people don't say, I'm going to put this bug in here on purpose. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. I, the I, point. I have heard a few people do that to try to get a manager to sway in a specific way. Like intentionally crash prod to say we need to refactor the code and take out the technical debt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. That's not a recommended activity by anyone on this Agile Life because it does bring business risk. So, and, yeah. J- and Jason, you and I have both had the pleasure or displeasure, depending on how you look at it, for having to do performance evaluations and reviews of other people, other employees in a company. And one of the first things that I always was taught and learned as someone who does those is that you should critique the person's abilities and not the person themselves, right? So if I say, Jason, you're a zero in this particular skill, that's a lot different than me saying, Jason, you have some difficulty with a particular skill and your rating in that skill on that skill is this. Yeah, yeah. And knowing that I think we still have in the backlog, we need to have the discussion about performance reviews because that in many environments that, process is inherently based upon old school leadership and management techniques that have been disproven by modern theory. I, I, Absolutely. I have done those too. Um, and I, I would like there to be some way to do like a, a team performance review instead. Yeah, it's called a, some people call it a 360 or a transparent where you literally do it as a team. Um, no, I mean like your performance review is just entirely a team review. Like your team, how they perform as a team, it determines your raise or whatever for the next year. So if you're letting someone fall down because you don't care, then sorry, the whole team loses. You win and fail as a team. Yes, I wish more companies would implement that. Yeah, and, and well, and the the pattern that that is growing with a little bit of momentum is it's the idea of what they call the base salary, where you know the company establishes a you know a kind of a, a common way of working. They they pay everyone a base salary, and then if they any and then they leave it up to self governance to say you know if there is a bonuses or additional profit that could be allocated to, to compensate people, they make that democratic and let people decide what to do with it. I'm sorry, I'm just having flashbacks of uh, Ayn Rand. So, yeah. <laughs> or is it Ayn Rand? 
No, Ayn. You had it right. Ayn Rand. Okay. Me too, Lee. <laughs> All right, guys, let's wrap this up. Any other final comments on the Ten Commandments of Eagle List Programming? Uh, like the um, like the uh, the last one says, it's critique the code instead of the people because again, the people are what is most important to encourage the process to be successful. And so they need to be respected at all times. And they're not think resources. Of before you think of yourself. Yes, they're not resources. People Everybody work here. Remember that they're not resources. I think I talked over top of Lee trying to say that. That's okay. They're people so. or talent. I, I would accept talent. All right. Because talent says you're unique. You're a boss. B-A-U-S. Beautiful and unique snowflake. Oh, please. Now you're just getting gushy. Amos wants to go watch the ladies figure skate. I can tell. Uh, I don't have TV, so I can't. It's on the web. Ah, Cardinals baseball and the Olympics is the only time that I wish I had TV. You can watch it for free on the web? Uh, After it, yeah, probably. There's a few things out there. And then you could get those on the internet, but that's not our story. Anyway, we'll talk about illegal pirating of the Olympics after we. No, they give it away. Dude, NBCOlympics.com. It's all there. This week's hottest picks. Our first pick tonight is from Lee McCauley. Lee, what do you, what do you got? Actually, I've got a, a, a particular blog post that I thought was interesting. I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but it, it brings up some very interesting points. It's called Why, Why Agile Isn't Working. Um, it's uh, an article out on the CIO.com website, and I have the full link in the in the show notes. But uh, he brings up three interesting points, which uh, I think everybody should uh, should take a look at. And uh, there, he has some some of the delivery over quality, for example, is one of his his things of uh, a recasting of what the effect of agile really is. And while again, I don't completely agree with all these. Um, his points, in some cases, you do see some Agile teams doing some of these. Uh, the second one is development over planning. Uh, you end, to do, end up doing development rather than planning, and he seems to think that that's uh, a bad thing in some cases. So anyway, I, I think they are, they are valid points. Check it out if you get a chance. We may have to have a whole episode to discuss some of the topics in that uh, particular blog post. Yeah. Good, good pick, Lee. Let's go to Amos for his pick. Um, so I want to pick a white paper by Todd Little called Agility, Uncertainty, and Software Project Estimation. Uh, it's just a pretty good rundown of estimations and why they're wrong and how much they're wrong with graphs and some math. And so I, I think that uh, the math geeks will really get a ha- ha- handle on it and have fun. Oh, Amos, I'm so excited. I'm going to go read it. I, you would I like to be excited. a math geek, Jason. <laughs> I I've, I haven't read the whole thing, so Lee, uh, watch out! Tomorrow I will show you my probabilistic model <laughs> and his Monte Carlo simulation. Yes, it was used to generate it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do my pick tonight. Uh, going to pick another podcast, and it's another podcast that I happen to host and produce, and it's called IO Yes. So if you are into iOS development, um, Objective-C development, etc. Check out that podcast. You can find it at iosyespodcast.com, and I'll have a link to the podcast in the show notes. Jason, the Agile Factor, you get the last word tonight. Oh, awesome. So I have, um, I have two picks. Uh, I thought this was interesting, and I thought I'd throw it there for developer fans. Uh, I have a team. They saw a post on Hacker News. It was called 4K is for Developers. They went out and they got this large 39-inch monitor. And this was a test that we're doing in our company to see if this works as a, as a better way to do pair programming or mob programming because it's one large continuous display. It's like the monitor is like it's, it only refreshes at 30 hertz. So it's, it's a low-cost uh, panel that they use to produce this. Uh, which is interesting. Um, obviously, because it's, it's so slow, you can't really show video on it. So it's not H. It's it's high resolution, but a slow refresh. So 
uh, give it a stat or give it a shot if you're interested. We'll put the link to the the post about it on the uh, the show notes. And if you want to, you know, if you're a mo- if you're doing mob programming or pair programming, um, it might be worth a shot to see if it works better in your your work environment. The other one that I'll plug is kind of a, a neat thing that I bumped into on the internet. It comes to us from our friend Gil Braza, uh, author of The Human Side of Agile, which oddly enough gave us the top 10 list the last time we did a top 10 show. So thank you to Gil for that. But he's organizing a low-cost online Agile conference. It's going to run March 17th through the 21st. He's got a bunch of awesome speakers lined up for it. Um, there's a couple different ways you can participate. There's like You can listen in online uh, to the sessions. If you want to invest a little bit more, still like less than $100 if you register early. You can actually get the session notes. You can get like a, a, a recording of, of the presentations, kind of like a podcast. Just a great way to get a variety of learning, really low cost. Um, he's got a great program put together for that. So um, just something to check out if you're looking to um, hear some other people talk about Agile stuff other than your favorite co-hosts on the Agile. That's an excellent pick, Jason. All right, guys. Thanks for the show tonight. I'd like to remind our audience that they can check out thisagilelife.com to find the show notes for this episode as well as all of our past episodes of the show. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.